We are all on a search for significance. We all want to make our lives count. We want to make a unique contribution. Here at Tyndale, students are preparing for ministry and marketplace, and they're excited about the direction that God wants them to travel. I was talking to an international business student yesterday, and she was talking about and looking forward to next winter to serve in Malawi. You often hear seminary students talking about some exciting innovations that they're trying out in their churches, and they're also affirming some of the older practices and bringing renewal. For Tyndale staff members, they are fulfilling their calling by serving here, and they're very excited about helping students in various ways in moving forward in their programs. As faculty, we also come and fulfill a calling. Uh, you could see them beaming when there's a, an article that they've produced, a new insight that they get, a book that's published. And we are grateful to teach and influence lives inside and outside the classroom. Of course, our search for significance often leads us into different pathways. I remember talking to a person who had a very full schedule, and the person told me that they were taking on a new responsibility. And I asked, why do you want to do that? And the person responded, it will look good on my resume. Well, I know that many of us, as we search for significance, may have a bit of mixed motives and different directions that we follow. Well, these two characters in the parable this morning that was enacted for us were also on a search for significance. The Pharisee, he was the one who committed himself to the study of religion and practice. Well, he already had the MDiv, and he was on his way to practice his religion in prayer. The tax collector had taken a different route. He was a business major. Well, no devaluing our business majors here. But he sought to make his fortune and mark on the world in the for-profit entrepreneurial world. Well, let's take a closer look at these individuals. Well, we know that the Pharisee, he was a strict follower and practice of Judaism. He followed the Old Testament and the written explanation of the law called the Talmud. Well, there he is praying in a very prominent place in the temple. He starts off well. It looks like a Thanksgiving prayer that you might hear in the Old Testament. God, I thank you. But all of a sudden, it moves to a comparison that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Well, he's praying with his eyes open, right? <clears throat> he was looking around, and he saw himself in relationship to other people. The word Pharisee often has uh, come to mean and understood as separate. And he definitely was separate from all the sinners that operated in life and was even close to the temple. He goes on that he fasts twice a week. And the Old Testament required that godly Jews uh, fast on the Day of Atonement. And so it says that he, uh, it was common practice that Pharisees fasted on Monday and Thursdays, which just happened to be market days. And he fasted 103 times more than was required. 
He tithed. He gave 10% of all, not just his income, which was required by the law, but in everything. And so he wasn't just religious. He was indeed super-religious. From our vantage point, observing and hearing this prayer, we would say he was a very righteous person. But Jesus tells us the purpose of the parable in verse 9. He said, Jesus said, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. The message interprets it this way. Those who complacently were pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at common people. And really, that was no prayer at all. It was more of a boasting to look at me, God, and others, who I am. What a great person I am. In fact, as you look at that passage, he uses the personal pronoun I five times. Some has noticed that the middle letter of pride is I. And his attitude was righteous, but it was self-righteous. He was self-satisfied. And so that was his action. He was very satisfied in his own state of religion, his own moral life according to the law. But his action was that he treated others with contempt. He viewed that tax collector as an awful sinner. He looked down on other people. But don't we see ourselves in the attitude and action of this Pharisee? Yes, I'm a good Christian. I attend or work at Tyndale. I must be a super Christian. Well, I'm making sacrifices to be here. My family's making sacrifices to be here. But we see ourselves in the pride of this Pharisee. You see, pride is the feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from my own achievements. And it's often used, of course, in a negative way. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Pride is the only sickness everyone can recognize except the person who has it. Pride shows up when we're satisfied with who we are, our position, our social status. Pride arrives at the doorsteps of Tyndale. When a student, UC student can imply, I am of Dr. Carter, or I am of Dr. Reynolds, or I am of Stevie T. When a seminary student says, Dr. Shepard says, and I quote, or I am of Dr. Adestrom, or I am of Dr. Neufeldfass, we often get critical and we lack an openness to other viewpoints. We can often be filled with pride like air in a helium balloon. And when we look down on others who are in different programs and we only associate with those in our program, I think our pride swells and wells up in us. And so pride can indeed run rampant down the halls of Tyndale. Don't we see ourselves in the pride of the Pharisee? But let us turn to the tax collector. That tax collector was one who was a very shrewd business person. 
He bargained for a certain amount that he would collect for the Roman government, and anything else above that goes into his own pocket. It was a very lucrative business. He worked for the Romans, so he was considered a traitor to his own people. And he was one who was far off in the shadows of that temple, not, of course, center stage. And it says that he beat his breast, which is a sign of repentance. He could not hold his head up highly, and his prayer was brief, to the point, and sincere. God be merciful to me, a sinner. With that, he expressed his dependence on God. He looked for God's mercy, and、uh, he received the forgiveness. And what was Jesus' verdict? Was this person went to his home justified, rather than the one who had the lofty and wonderful prayer? This sinner, this traitor, this tax collector went home justified, rather than the other. I read this article on the justification in the Gospels, and it reads this way. Luke's gospel comes closest to Paul's concept of justification, highlighting the danger of self-righteousness and the need for repentance to receive forgiveness, acquittal, and inner peace. It also involves an inward change manifested outwardly in humility, gratitude, and love to God for this gracious gift. Yes, this person was indeed justified. Whether we understand that as salvation or ongoing、uh, forgiveness and relationship with God, of course we understand that one of Jesus' disciples was a tax collector and left that to follow Jesus.、Uh, Levi, better known as Matthew, we also know that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was that head over other tax collectors, and I'm sure he took a cut. Out of each one, but each of these repented and came to faith in Christ. And yet, here is the ongoing place that we need to be. We need to come to this aspect of confession, just like this tax collector. The need of confession as a spiritual discipline, Dr. Sherbino writes, is based on the fact that we have sinned against God. And we need God's forgiveness. So confession is not only built into our understanding of coming to Christ for salvation, but it plays out in our daily walk. When God turns the searchlight on us, we respond. The classical form that looks very similar to this prayer by the tax collector is called the Jesus Prayer, and in classical form, it is. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm sure that's taught in the spiritual formation class. As we pray this prayer of confession, it is also part of this we call pray of examine, where it's a time to examine and reflect on our own personal lives. And and Dr. Sherbino writes about that in this reconnect spiritual exercise to develop. Our intimacy with God, and there are sections that talk a bit more of what it's like to examine our lives and punctuate our lives with times of confession.
Of course, here we see that confession is certainly one aspect of humility. And I believe that that's a wonderful way that as we confess our sins before the Lord, we are humble before God. And it says in the passage that as we humble ourselves, the Lord will indeed lift us up. Proverbs 3.34, which this is based, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so part of that has to mean releasing control of our lives, that we are finding in terms of our search for significance, we are finding our identity in Christ, our strength in Christ, who we are and how we serve, and being directed by God, these are all related to our following of Christ. And so indeed, he was a one who went home justified. Each of them left this temple. They left, but the Pharisee was not changed. The tax collector was changed. How many have taken the spiritual formation class? Number of you. And how many have taken the Christian life and discipleship at the UC? Okay, a number of you as well. And that course, which I taught uh, when I first came here, is a course that goes inward. And that's a hard journey, isn't it? It's when you are confronted by the holiness of God, when you see yourself in the light of Scripture, it's difficult. And in fact, you feel like, I thought I was pretty bad, but now I'm feeling worse. <laughs> and you even seem like you descend a bit in your own perception, in your own feelings, in seemingly your own self-esteem. But after you are there, you come out on the other side with the grace and the love of God. And that's where we do not want to remain in just confession. We want to move beyond this place, but to move on to receiving the love, the grace, and the forgiveness of God. But often I would say that this aspect of confession could be a forgotten dimension of our Christian practice. It's very interesting that in our sacred space here, if you've noticed in the back, there are confessionals on both sides. They are places where people used to go and confess their sins. Um, I looked at those uh, yesterday and some are used for storage. Uh, last week I saw somebody, I think they, they use it as a change room, <laughs> but they went in and, and then they came out a short time later. But I think that those type of places reminds us that we do need to confess our sins. We do need to stay in right relationship with God. We often turn to 1 John 1, 9, and some people have called this the Christian soap bar. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that aspect of receiving the cleansing of God for confessing what we know and what comes to our hearts and minds also takes care of what we've forgotten or what we've done. And so experiencing that forgiveness and cleansing is indeed built into our Christian walk and Christian life. And so as we respond to the Lord, um, we also notice that in front of you there are kneelers. Those were places at times of the service people might kneel before God. And so 
I'm going to make it available. We're going to use about five minutes to have a response time. And so this is a time for you to confess your sins, to receive the Lord's forgiveness. But you may want to use a kneeler or go to the side, or you may, like the Pharisee, may go off to the side a bit. But we're going to close in five minutes. But I'd like you, as the Lord has brought to light some aspects of your life. Again, you know, we confess it, the Lord forgives us, and we're able to move on as our pattern of life. And so I'd like us at this point just to have a time of confession. Open up before the Lord. Let the Lord through the Holy Spirit and word bring some things to light, areas of you've committed, thought life, areas you've left out of your life, areas that you have taken control of where you need to let control to the Lord. So use this as a time of confession. Receive the Lord's forgiveness. You may want to use like a a kneeler. Uh, Also in our place here are the stations of the cross. And again, that's a wonderful way of reflecting on Christ and this cross of the Lord's love for us, his example of humility, of becoming a human, serving us and dying for us. So I'll bring us together after five minutes. That Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Our main message is we confess our sins and receive God's forgiveness. Shall we all stand, rise before the Lord? Now be assured, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now go in the grace, peace, and forgiveness of God, and may you serve the Lord, one another, and the world with the strength and joy that he provides. Amen.